excited to be bringing you uh, this sermon today. Uh, I want to thank Debbie, first of all. She sort of started the ball rolling on the topic last week when she introduced the concept of the kingdom of God. And Debbie was really unpacking the fruit and producing fruit, what that looks like within the kingdom. My focus today is going to be the authority. The authority, what authority we're under and the authority that we carry when we're living within the kingdom of God. Uh, I want to thank two authors, though. First author is John Eldridge. Um, oh, my bookmark's gone. I'm about up to here with this book. There's been a couple of things that I've been a bit, like, disagreeing with him on. Nothing major, but there's been some really good stuff in this as well. So I've taken a lot of this, especially to do with prayer. Um, the other part is the David Thomas, author of The Finding uh, Discipleship Environment, and Carolyn as well, who authors lots of long text messages. If Jesus made the kingdom of God the center of his message, it's the center of his message and the center of his endeavor, the greatest need of man, as I see it, is to rediscover the kingdom of God. So in other words, this phrase is not one that we should be glazing over when we're reading the New Testament. This is one that we really need to be pressing into. So what does it mean? What does it mean to bring the kingdom of God? What does it mean to stand in authority? I'm going to start off today with a bit of an illustration, uh, because it really serves to me as a clarifying kind of backbone for the rest of the uh, sermon today. So you have that picture up? Thank you. So there's a couple of things I want to say about this picture in relation to the kingdom of God. First, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal saviour, that he has died on the cross, saved us from ourselves, we enter into this kingdom, which looks fantastic. So I want you to picture yourself having lived, see that very far distant mountaintop? That's where you're living until Jesus comes into your life and then you're invited into this place. You've heard tales of this place where everybody is dry and fed and loved, but you've never really seen it before for yourself. Then one day, as you're over on that mountaintop, a stranger walks by and he or she offers you the chance come and enter this kingdom. Despite, you know, this person might sound like he's talking a few crazy things, the place sounds so good and the stranger walking is so well clothed and looked after, there's like this light coming out of him, you decide to go with him. 
And when you enter in through those gates, well, Luke 15, 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Rejoice. Celebration. Trumpets. You've been over on that mountaintop, lonely, scared, afraid, and suddenly there's all these people surrounding you, rejoicing that you're there. People come and welcome you with 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Maybe not kisses, but you're welcomed. And the, the point of a kiss is the affection of it. You've never been shown such affection. As you wander in, someone sits you down and cuts your hair. They wash your clothes for you. They just offer just abounding love and generosity. The generosity of a generous king. And then someone asks you to go and actually meet this king. And you're nervous. What if he doesn't like you? What if even after your haircut and stuff, you're still all disheveled and strange looking? What if he finds within you something inherently wrong? But the instant that you step into his throne room, you feel just immense love for you and that sense that you've always belonged. So when you're within these walls, the walls of the kingdom, you are under the authority of the king. The king who is the very definition of love. He knows what will harm you. He knows what will make you safe. He will guarantee you forgiveness if you come to him with a humble heart, godly sorrow and repent. Now, the reason I wanted to paint this picture for you at the beginning of this sermon is because there's a real juxtaposition between these kingdoms. And this is the reality in which we live. So while you were on that mountaintop and you're now in the kingdom, there's a bunch of other people still over there alone and afraid. And you know what? Sometimes they can make their wilderness lives look pretty good. They can get a lot of money and buy you know, a stick teepee and one of those hats made out of leaves and they can make it look really good but in the end it's kind of stuff that'll burn up when it's chucked in a fire. It's worthless. It's not based on salvation. It's not based on actual love. This is so important when we talk about the kingdom of God on a number of levels, the first of which, I think, is about ministering to other people because that is what we need to picture It's never just an innocent, innocuous, kind of small conversation where two people are just sharing coffee when it's a saved person and an unsaved person. The spirit of this person is at stake. They're outside the walls in the dirt and the dust, and they don't even know it until a person from the kingdom walks by, a person fully clothed, fully loved, fully validated by his or her father's love. Now... I've used the New Living Translation for the following scripture because I like to say related to this picture. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Isn't that striking? Thank you. 
So, so far I was good. Up to that point, yes, I was doing the right thing. I was making a moral stand just to go on a soapbox, which I've never done before, but which is fun. Taking stuff for free that you should pay for is stealing. I don't really need to say anything more than that. If you're getting a TV show for free that you have to pay for normally, it's stealing, guys. Um, which was what I guess everyone in this kingdom of darkness at work was doing. Anyway, the